Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today I'm going to be interviewing Jessica Vitalis, and we're going to be talking about her debut middle-grade novel, The Wolf's Curse, uh, which just came out this last year, uh, September 2021. And we're going to be talking about that book as well as her own favorite book for young readers, uh, Kit's Wilderness by David Allman. But first, I'm going to start with a brief conversation I had with Dwayne Millard, uh, who is Senior Vice President of Family and Community Engagement at Scholastic. And we're going to be talking about this year's World Read Aloud Day. I'm talking today with Dwayne Millard, Senior Vice President of Family and Community Engagement at Scholastic, and he's here to talk about the 13th Annual World Read Aloud Day. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Dwayne. Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Now, I've done this for the past couple of years, talking about World Read Aloud Day, but for those listeners who maybe are not familiar with it yet, can you talk a little bit about what exactly is World Read Aloud Day? Thanks for asking that question. It really is an amazing day. In my opinion, I think in a lot of people's opinion, uh, it was created by Lit World, which is a partner of Scholastic. Scholastic is actually a sponsor. It's a globally celebrated tradition that is actually in 173 countries currently. Um, it is formally this year going to be on Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. The World Read Aloud Day has been in existence for 13 years. The goal is it calls attention to the importance of sharing stories. Uh, we invite participants to come and share stories and pair, find buddies, find partners, and it's really about reading aloud. Um, it is a moment to remind us the powerful way that sharing stories affects kids, families, schools, communities, and a sense of togetherness. Uh, what is it about those sharing of stories, this reading aloud, that's so important, you know, not just for, you know, promoting literacy, but also to sort of build those connections uh, that we want to between people? No, that's a great question. So, you know, people often think of read alouds in the linear perspective, meaning they think of it as a classroom instructional strategy that re they remember either when they were a student or maybe they remember when they were a teacher or thinking of it from an instructional perspective. The three-dimensional aspect of read aloud, when you really think about it, it is about a sense of belonging. It's a sense of sharing story. It's a sense of modeling, um, showing basically not just modeling how to read, but modeling feelings. It's a space where you have uh, opportunities for empathy, opportunities for debate, opportunities for understanding. And then when you really think about what is a successful adult and a successful child, uh, it's really about the executive function skills, which is all about communication and reading aloud and having conversations really encompasses all of that. And and having that telling stories and reading aloud is becoming part of a family's tradition. And is it something that you know that you draw upon yourself and your own family's traditions? I do. So my family, we had a lot of storytelling and sharing that happened. Um, I grew up in a multi-generational family. So most of my experiences were actually with my grandmother and then later in life, my mother, when it came to uh, read alouds. Um, I had a lot of read aloud experience with my teachers in school, and that was always wonderful for the setting. But at home, uh, my grandmother shared uh, a plentitude of stories, read a lot of books with us when we were younger. 
And then my mother carried that tradition on when I was a little older, when it really was about reading to learn. And then it was really about being analytical. Thanks for that flashback, though. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know myself with uh, me and my wife's own children, just how important that reading to your children and sharing stories has helped to, to them to grow and also to build that sort of family bond as well. No question. No question. Now, for those who are, you know, are interested in World Read Aloud Day, which is happening February 2nd, uh, what can they do to uh, become involved with it? Well, I want to start with the foundations and the simplicity of it all. The most important thing is these are symbolic um, opportunities for us all. And so World Read Aloud Day foundationally and in in its simplicity is really about picking up a book and thinking of a person that you want to share a story with and let that person be your buddy and read aloud. That is the basic foundation of what the day represents. Um, but then beyond that, um, it's, we, we, we at Scholastic have a series of free, easy to join virtual events from January 31st through February 2nd. They're gonna be centered on illuminating the joy and the benefits of sharing stories. We're gonna have all three events on Scholastic's home base. It's a free and safe digital platform. There'll be sing-alongs. There'll be chats for families on parenting during uncertain times, which we know we're all going through currently, and creating reading memories at home. Um, There are also opportunities in this experience to have some tutorials and fun on how do you actually create engaging opportunities at home, reading craft activities, and some panel discussions with literacy experts. Um, And all of that's available. In addition to that, we have a free World Read Aloud Day virtual kit that includes a list of 30 book recommendations, tips, ideas, and resources. All you have to do is go to scholastic.com forward slash World Read Aloud Day and join free and be ready to celebrate and have a great time with us. And once again, it is on Wednesday, February 2nd of this year. All right. Well, uh, Dwayne, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me about World Read Aloud Day and and reading. And um, all I can say is happy reading. Have a great one. Thanks for the invite again. My guest today is Jessica Vitalis. Her debut middle grade novel, The Wolf's Curse, came out in September of last year, 2021. You can find more information about Jessica and her book at jessicavitalis.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, uh, speaking of your book, and I did have the chance to read it. Actually, I listened to the audiobook, which is really, really well done, and I really enjoyed the book. Uh, for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet, can you talk a little bit of what it's about? Sure, I would love to. The Wolf's Curse is a twist on Grim Reaper mythology where an invisible great white wolf searches for someone to take her job. But the only person who can see her is a 12-year-old boy named Gage. He actually catches the wolf stealing his grandpapa's soul and ends up vowing revenge. And then he goes on to join forces with another orphan and they embark on a life-changing journey that reveals truths about life, about the wolf, and about about death. So it's a book about death and grief, but it's also really at its core a book about hope and about healing. And what was the origin of this idea uh, for this story? Where did you first get your inspiration from? I would love to share that. So 
this is actually not the book that I intended to write. What happened is I was standing in front of my bookshelves one day and I had just finished a book and I was just searching for inspiration, casting a net, trying to figure out what I was going to write next. And I pulled out a copy of Marcus Zusak's book, The Book Thief, which I had read many times before. It's a brilliant story set in Nazi Germany where a young girl was sent to live with a foster family. And the real brilliance in that story is that it is narrated by death. Even though I had read it many times before, there was something about that moment where things just clicked with me. And the idea of writing with death as a narrator was so exciting to me. And I really wanted to see how that would work out in a middle grade book. The problem was that I had written several dark, heavy books or manuscripts before that point. And I was really hoping to write something light, something humorous, maybe an adventure. So I decided I was going to try to do that with death as a narrator. And maybe it would be this humorous adventure where death was trying to trick somebody into taking a walk. So I sat down and I wrote that story out and I sent it off to a beta reader. And she got back to me and she said, you know, the story is really not working. You don't have any themes in the story and you've written about death, but there's no death in the story. So I knew that she was right. And I knew that if I was going to tackle death as a narrator in a middle grade novel, I was going to have to do it in a really honest and accessible way for the middle grade audience. So I ended up throwing out that entire first draft and started completely over and ended up with what is now Wolf's Curse. And as you mentioned, you know, you want to focus on uh, these very uh, difficult subjects, grief and, mort and mortality. And you do want to be honest with uh, middle grade readers be and deal with strong emotions. But at the same time, it is a middle grade audience. So what was what did you have to think about as you were sort of writing and thinking about, you know, I want to, you know, engage the reader and have them think about these things. But at the same time, you know, it's a younger audience of mine. So how did you sort of do that balance, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. And entertaining the reader is also probably is always probably the most important thing with middle grade books, because if kids aren't entertained, they're going to stop reading. So I had to look for a way to balance that with the themes that I wanted to tackle. And the first thing I did was really take a look at Grim Reaper mythology and how we discuss death in our culture. And when I started to think about that, what I realized was actually pretty disturbing. Like, if you think about traditional Grim Reaper mythology, it's this usually sort of masculine, dark, black character cloaked in black and carrying a scythe. And that's a really terrifying image for kids. And so I wanted to look for ways to sort of turn that trope on its head. And so I decided one way to do that would be through an animal. And that's where I came up with Wolf as a narrator. And I thought it would also be interesting to toy with the gender. So instead of my Grim Reaper being male, I went with a female Grim Reaper. So that that was sort of the the main um, genesis of how I decided to tackle that. And when I first sat down to start writing, the wolf just came to me and had this really snarky sort of humorous voice that I think immediately added a lot of levity to what otherwise might have been a heavier, darker story. I think it's interesting, the choice of the wolf, because sometimes there's a perception of what wolves are, you know, that we're, you know, we have this sort of scary image of them. But the reality of wolves is they can be very nurturing. And, and I don't know if you had that in mind uh, in the story that people had a fear of it. But the truth of, of the, the narrator and what they're really doing is something else. That's exactly it. And I, I don't know that I knew that when I first chose the wolf. The first animal that came to me had been a raven. 
But there were a couple of problems with ravens. Number one, ravens are black. And I was trying to get away from that trope and that stereotype that I think is very harmful for children with black skin. So I wanted to stay away from a black animal. And the second animal, or, or the second problem, I guess, is that ravens can fly. So if you have this Grim Reaper character that's going to steal souls or take souls and they can just snatch them and fly off, that doesn't lend itself to very much um, interesting conflict in the story. So the second animal that came to mind was the wolf. The truth behind them, like you were talking about, originally people think about wolves as these lone wolves, but really they're pack animals and very loyal. So I knew that they that the wolf was really the right animal for my story. Now, I understand that this book has been a, a while in the making. So I'm wondering, what was the experience like to finally have it come out and, and know people were were reading it and enjoying it? What was the, that experience of having that, especially a, a first novel, of, of having that finally come out? You know, the debut journey has been really interesting because I did write for 13 years before I sold my first book. And so getting the book deal and the year and a half leading up to it where you do your editing and your revision was very, very exciting. But everything sort of happens in this piecemeal way where I got the cover and I shared the cover and then I got advanced reader copies. And so even before the book came out, people had started reading and I started getting feedback. And of course, all through this process, we were in COVID. So that by the time my launch day came, of course, it was very exciting. But at the same time, because we were in lockdown and quarantine, I wasn't able to be with a group of people. I wasn't able to see my readers and still to this point, haven't been able to do any in-person appearances. So it's all been just a little bit surreal. Like I know it's out there and I know people are reading, but um, there hasn't been as much direct feedback as I had sort of anticipated, but it's still been a very emotional, really wonderful journey. It is a very strange year to uh, put out a book, but uh yeah, at the same time, it's a, it's a very exciting thing. Um, so are there other, so you've got the first book out there. Are there other things um, in the works for you that are um, either working on or coming up that that you can share? There sure are. <laughs> or talk about, talk about. So yeah. the one that I can talk about at the moment is I have a standalone companion novel to The Wolf's Curse that will be coming out on October 25th. So it is set in the same general world, but it has a completely different country with completely different magic and completely different characters. So this book is called The Rabbit's Gift, and it's based on the French version of our stork mythology, which is that babies are actually born in cabbage plants. And instead of being delivered by fairies, like they are in the French mythology, in my book, they're delivered by rabbits. I've, I've never heard that. That should be very interesting. And when do you, is there a, a time frame for this yet? Or is that still uh, up in it the air? It comes out on October 25th. Oh, October 25th. Okay, something to look forward to. Uh, in the meantime, can you share part of the, um, the Wolf's Curse with us? I would love to do that. I am going to share, actually, it has a very short prologue that really gives you a flavor for the overall themes and feel of the story in the wolf's voice that is real fun. So I'm going to start with a short prologue. It starts, to be perfectly honest, I'd rather you walk away now. Life is hard enough without adding death to the mix. Besides, your precious time is better spent doing something else. Wouldn't you rather be fetching water, hanging the wash, picking lice from your hair? I see that you are not to be put off. In that case, we need to get a few things straight. First, I'm not a beast, a monster, or the devil. I'm only a tired wolf in search of relief. Second, 
I exist in the shadowy space between this world and the next. I slip between the two, doing things, seeing things, knowing things you will likely deem unbelievable. Finally, you must understand that it's not myself I'm trying to save, or at least not only myself. Still determined to come along? Fine. But I warn you, the path ahead isn't easy. It will be filled with darkness and despair, and you will almost certainly regret your decision, just as I regret mine. I think there's there's nothing quite so uh, captivating a reader as to tell them, you probably shouldn't read any more of this if you know what's good for you. Exactly. But it also allows me to go back and say, I told you so. I told you this. Was I've been wondering, though, what was the process like getting, because the voice of the wolf and getting the, the right tone and the voice and the character of the wolf, because, you know, that's who tells the story. Did that take a while to get, or did it something that just you heard right away and, and knew what that voice sounded like? So that first draft that I told you about, I absolutely don't have any sort of voice at all. And so when I decided to rewrite the book, and use the wolf, I sat down and the first thing I did was just scribble out a few paragraphs and immediately the wolf came to me in almost the exact form as what we just read. Like that's almost identical to what I very first wrote about the story. And from that point on, this was the easiest story I'd ever written. I felt like the wolf just took over and I just was writing as fast as I could to capture what she wanted to convey. And I've never had that experience writing a manuscript before and and haven't had it since. So. Well, at least you had that experience. It sounds like a wonderful I got it experience. Once. That's right. Now, the book you uh, picked as one of your own particular favorite uh, books for young readers is called uh, Kit's Wilderness by David Allman, and this was published in 1999. And this was a new book uh, to me, I have to admit, and I had, it was a, a great to have a chance to read it. Uh, for other readers who are unfamiliar with Kit's Wilderness, as I once was, can you just talk a little bit of what this book is about? Sure. Kit's Wilderness is the story of a 13-year-old boy named Kit Watson, and Kit's family is forced to move back to a place called Stony Gate because his grandmother has died and his grandfather is showing signs of dementia. Stony Gate is a former mining village, and even though the mining has closed down, it's, it's really shaped several generations of families, including Kit's own. Um, Kit meets another boy in town by the name of John Askew, and Askew is generally a troublemaker. He leads the small kids in a game called Death, where they all go down into an abandoned mining pit, and they play what's essentially a game of spin the bottle, only they spin a knife, and the person who is chosen has to stay behind in the pit in the blackness while the rest of the group leaves. And they believe that the person dies, and after some time they come back to the surface and sort of report to the group what it was like to die. It seems like a harmless game, but it turns out that Kit and Askew can actually see the ghosts of the children who died down in the mines in the generations before. When did you um, when did you first come across this novel? Your first encounter it. So this novel is really beloved to me because it really is the book that set me on the path to writing middle grade. I it was in two thousand eight, I believe. I had decided that I was going to finally try my hand at writing a novel and. I kept writing picture books and every picture book I took to critique group, they told me, you know, that sounds like the first chapter in a middle grade novel. But I had toddlers and infants at that time and I was reading picture books. I hadn't read a middle grade novel since 
I was in middle grade, essentially. So I went to the library and I looked up middle grade novels and thought, well, I better refresh myself. I better figure out what they're talking about. Why, why does my writing sound like these middle grade novels? And this was the first book that I picked up. And I was just absolutely blown away because I read prolifically as a child. I read everything I could get my hands on at the library. And and I loved books, but my memory of middle grade books, certainly there was a lot of great literature. There was, of course, Judy Bloom and, and Black Beauty and Rodal and um, all those sorts of things. But as an adult, I had never, I didn't remember having the experience of ever read anything quite like Kids Wilderness because it's so literary and vivid and dark, but also so true and so emotional and and I didn't know it at the time, but Kids Wilderness is actually upper middle grade, which wasn't really a thing when I was a kid and when I was a reader. So as soon as I put this book down, I remember very clearly the thought crossed my mind that this is exactly the kind of books that I want to write. Yeah, it sort of fits in that sort of strange place between middle grade and YA, uh, sort of books like this and The Giver, you know, it's sort of it can go either way. Um, the compelling thing about this book, of course, it's got a, a main character who goes through this kit uh, and what he's dealing with this story. And what you could talk a little bit about uh, who Kit is and what is it about him as a character that uh, makes us want to keep reading about what's going on in his life? That's a really good question. I think, you know, part of what Kit is dealing with is his father's, his grandfather's dementia. And he has a really sweet and tender relationship with his grandfather. And I think that draws the reader in. But another thing about Kit that is particularly appealing is he, he can see askew's many faults. He sees that there's this boy out there who comes from this terrible family. The father's an alcoholic and kind of the town drunk and, and askew is constantly getting in trouble in school and a little bit dangerous maybe. And, and Kit knows that about askew, but he also senses that there's some light in askew and that maybe what askew really needs is a friendship. And so to me, that's what's really appealing about him is that he's willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and that he can see the light in people where other people look and only see the dark. And and John Askew is a fascinating character. He's sort of both a friend and an enemy and sometimes both at the same time uh, with Kit uh, and their relationship and the way it sort of develops and changes and becomes something is kind of fascinating. He's just kind of a fascinating character, even though we sort of see him um, a little bit more from the outside, you know, through Kit's eyes rather than really uh, knowing exactly what's going on in his head. But he's kind of a fascinating character in himself. He really is. Yeah. Again, he's made out at the beginning to be this, this terrible kid, but like all children, nobody's truly all the way through terrible. He's been shaped by his circumstances. And, and one of the really cool things about him too, is he has this amazing, amazing gift of artwork and other people don't really recognize that. And Kit sees that in him and Kit himself is a writer. And so they, they forge that connection together that they see that they have something in common. Kit can provide the words and the stories and Askew can bring those stories to life through his art. I think another character that sort of really um, brings a lot of life into the novel is um, his other friend, Allie, who she kind of really brings this sort of this humor to the book and kind of grounds Kit a little bit in reality. You know, she has this sort of, um, you know, down to earthness about her and, is, and, and sort of her own particular way of looking at the world. And she knows how to nudge him a little bit now and then. Absolutely. I love Ali. Just like you said, she's really funny. I think it's really important to the story too, that 
Allie is the one person besides Kit that his grandfather always remembers. So she had a relationship with his family and that Kit's grandmother used to watch her when she was little. And his grandfather still remembers that. And and he kind of teases her about being a little, I don't remember his exact words, but kind of a little troublemaker. But it's in a very endearing way. He says she always drives people around the bend. And um, and so she brings a lot of light. And, and she's not a perfect character either. She wants to be an actress and she has this edge about her and, and she and Kit are sort of, they have this a little bit maybe combative relationship, but it's all very endearing. And actually the the section I had marked to read is an exchange between Allie and Kit. So if you'd like me to do that now, it might be a great time to, to introduce her. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. So this is an exchange. It's one of the first um, sort of meaningful conversations that Allie and Kit have together. It starts out, you're a stupid fool, she says. Eh? A stupid fool. Only here a few weeks and already you're in with that daft lot. You're in with them. She threw her hands into the air. Geez, she said. I can see you're going to drive me wild. Have you seen them? Have you really looked at them and seen them? Bunch of wimps and jerks and thickos and no hopers. And that brood at the middle of them, hulking and lurching like a caveman. It's a farce, man. What about you then? Oh, you perfect behavior, stupid nincompoop. She stamped the ground and glared at me. It's called experience. It's called getting to know what goes on in the stupid world. It's called watching other people's stupid behavior and getting to know how people work. She strode away. She shook her head and swung her arms. She kicked out at a massive thistle. She turned around and pointed at herself. I'm going to be an actor, she said. An artist. I need to see these things. Because the day will come when I'll be able to act the thickos out. She glared at me again. And you, she said. Me what? Exactly. You what? Mr. Nice. Mr. Perfect. Mr. Butter wouldn't melt. What's your plans, eh? Join the civil service or run a computer shop or, God help us, yes, that's it, a teacher. Yes, sir, Mr. Watson. No, sir, Mr. Watson. Can I go to the toilet, Mr. Watson, sir? So that just gives you a little bit of the flavor of their relationship. That's how it starts. And, and that's how it continues, honestly. But a real affection develops between the two of them. And so she just adds a lot of humor to the story, sort of telling it how it is. Yes, it's, that's actually her way of being <laughs> how she speaks to her friends, you know, uh, being very blunt, but, uh, you know, uh, and honest and uh, and just kind of laying it out there. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's, it's interesting in reading this novel and then uh, and reading your own. They both have the, uh, they both have the sort of general theme about death, but not, it, but also about how we view it, how we process it, or or, or rather, it's it's how you know when when you're young still, how you think about it, because it's still a very abstract thing in some ways. I'm wondering, what do you think? Um, think about your own book, but uh, what do you think this book has to tell us about you know? what it is that um, we might think about death or even just sort of young people and how they deal with uh, that very strange thing. Yeah. You know, I hadn't really ever made the connection between the two, which is funny because, you know, I just told you I started out my career wanting to write books like Kids Wilderness, but I hadn't reread it in so long that I didn't necessarily link my work to that. But you're right. They both, they both take this idea of death and dementia and aging and Alzheimer's. And they they really look at how our society and our culture views it as this darkness. And I think both books work to shine some light on the darkness and show that maybe it's not all bad. 
and that maybe it's not something to be scared of. And that's certainly something that happens through the process of Kit's wilderness. And Kit connects with his grandfather and realizes that his grandfather can see these ghosts. And there's one of the ghosts is this little um, little boy named Silky, and he's kind of a prankster or a mischief maker. And throughout the story, grandfather kind of disappears into the darkness and comes back to the real world. And I think watching him go through that process and Kit observing him go through that process sort of helps take away the sense of fear because he realizes that his grandfather isn't really scared of of going to that place where maybe we don't understand. And, and I think that's why the book is titled Kit's Wilderness, right? It's sort of a metaphor for death, the wilderness, what a lot of people think of as the dark, but maybe it's just the unknown and maybe it's not quite as dark as we think it is. And this other relationship we have as grandfathers, just sort of the history of the place and the stories and, you know, families, you know, this is not just a place, but it's a place, you know, that sort of goes back in time that the, the, the ghosts, if you will, are, are still there because, you know, the, the people who were there before are still present in some way, even if the, the coal mining uh, business itself is not quite what it once was. That's right. They're, they're definitely tied to this place. And that's um, made really apparent in the story because one of the places that Kit comes across is the cemetery. And there's actually a tombstone at the cemetery, or I'm not sure if it's a tombstone or some type of monument, but it lists the people who have died in the mines. And very often they were very young boys who were forced to go down into the mines, which was very dangerous work. And so he sees his own name um, on that plaque, Kit Watson, age 13. I think it was Christopher Watson is his full name. And then he also sees John Askew's name, age 13. And, and those were their ancestors. And so there's this sense that they're all connected. And this story was almost inevitable in the way that they're all tied to these ghosts and the land and the pits and the way that it impacted their families. I thought the tone of this book was interesting, too. I mean, it's there's a kind of gritty reality to it of this sort of this old uh, mining town. But at the same time, there's this, you know, dealing with ghosts and these other otherworldly things and this strange game this plays. So it's, there's a certain sort of magical realism to it. You know, it's both set in the real world and yet there's something about it that's not quite um, that's uh, a little bit off about it as well, if you know what I mean. That's exactly it. And I think that's what's so intriguing about the story is the author does such a fantastic job with the setting and the atmosphere and the characters. It really feels like a real place. Like this is someplace that I could get on a plane and go visit. And yet there's all these magical and dark and sort of mysterious and creepy threads that run through it that still feel believable because of the way he's threaded it all together. It's just, to me, it's a real masterpiece. I think it's just a gorgeous story. Yeah. And I, I believe that even though this is a fictional uh, mining town and set in Northern England, Stony Gate, it's, it's based on uh, the author's own memories, I guess, of growing up in such a place. So I think you probably get the sense of he's really drawing upon particular memories and places and things like that to create um, this fictional town. Yes, absolutely. And do you see that? Because uh, I, I was thinking about your own book as well, this sort of, um, it's both uh, set in a, a, a place that feels very familiar. At the same time, there's um, this sort of, um, you know, things that are 
a, a little bit different too, but there's enough of a connection to our own world that it makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, uh, what I'm describing. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and that was intentional in the sense that when I first, when I threw out that first draft, one of the things with the second draft that I knew I had to do was come up with a setting, a more specific setting. And I, as a very young person, was an exchange student in a small village in Germany on the Northern Sea on the Baltic Sea for a year. And I had always wanted to write a story set in a small seaside fishing village. But at the same time, I had just returned from France and I was completely in love with, you know, all things French and longing to go back. So I sort of transplanted my little German fishing village to the French countryside and used that as my inspiration to create the location. And I think that's what helps it feel really real. But at the same time, it is a fantasy story where they have their own mythology. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. I didn't, I didn't realize that. So sort of mixing places together to come up with just the, the kind of right feel uh, for things. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've never done that before, but it just is what felt right for this story. So I, I felt like the German fishing village, like a story set in Germany wouldn't have the same lyrical feel that I was really going for. So to me, it was important that it was more French inspired. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to me both about your own book, The Wolf's Curse, and to talk to me and introduce me to Kit's Wilderness. Like I said, I hadn't read it before. So thank you for um, introducing that book to me and talking to me about it today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can find more information about Jessica and the Wolf's Curse at jessicavitalis.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.